0: Hello, and welcome to Owning It, the podcast that celebrates the inspiring choices made by women who refuse to simply follow the crowd and chose the road less traveled. I'm your host, Sandhya Tukaram, and in each episode, we'll have real conversations with these incredible women who choose to carve their own path because following just isn't an option. They may not be making headlines, but every one of them is a role model, so join me and let's explore the power of choice and the inspiration it brings right here on Owning It. My guest today is Amrit Ahuja, communication consultant with Michael and Susan Dell Foundation, apart from being a women's leadership coach. I met Amrit only a couple of years ago and our interactions have been brief, but we both connected firmly over mutual admiration. Her story and the choices she made as she evolved into one of the most consummate communications professionals is all about owning it.
1: Thanks, Sandhya. It's a pleasure to have this conversation and, and I'm really, really looking forward to this chat and seeing that if people can benefit from this because, yes, both you and I come back from the comms industry, which has huge potential, but probably not the right kind of recognition. So yeah, let's do this. Really, really Yeah,
0: absolutely. Calm sisterhood. My first question, Amrit, is what it means to be a woman with a, a very successful
1: career. But
0: I want you to take me back to when Amrit started and what were challenges you faced?
1: So, uh, Sandhya, you know, very interesting when you say this, uh, there are several thoughts that come in my head and several memories. So, yeah, just a little about myself that uh, I started my career uh, with in communications. I studied communications, probably even the world had not even heard of communications, uh, but I did study communication and I started doing communications for a brand called ITPC, which everybody is familiar with. Uh, and then very soon i i was a year into the job i was 22 years old and i got married and i moved cities and i moved to mumbai and before so you,
0: uh, God, sorry one second so you start you finish communications you get married and start your career wow. yes i
1: okay. i you know i studied in delhi uh, i did a short stint with itdc i got married and i moved to mumbai And uh, when I moved to Mumbai, uh, you know, I was just still thinking of that, you know, what am I going to do with myself? And um, I realized that I was going to have a baby. So for 10 years of my first phase, I did nothing but bring up babies. Mm -hmm. I have two children. And um, uh, it was a very, very period of being very low because Mm -hmm. uh, I had not really achieved my career goals. And I was like, here, I'm stranded with these two children and I can't leave them. The mom in me was, would always be in the forefront and I thought I'd never be a career woman. But, um, you know, my second child, when he started going to play school, I was like, now is the time for me to start picking up the threads of a career. And yes, I did. Uh, I just, you know, there used to be a hotel near my house and I had worked at IDBC and I just walked in and I said, you know what, I'm looking for a job at the reception. I mean, how stupid is that? You don't go to a reception of hotels. I'm looking for a job. Mm -hmm. And the owner of the hotel was passing by and he just said, come in, let's have a chat. And I, you know, with with, with a sprite in my walk, I walked across and I said, uh, you know, yeah, this is what I've studied. This is what I've worked on. And I can help you with a lot of things. And he just said, and I was very happy. And it was walking distance from my house. So I had that comfort that I won't be wasting any time in commute. So I just walked across and I just started helping with building systems for the hotel and just looking around and seeing where can I be of help? One week into that job and there was a colleague and she said, you know what? You're wasting yourself over here. My husband works for Z Networks. He heads marketing and they're looking for a communication person. Why don't you go meet him? I was like, okay, I'll go meet him. I went to meet him. And before I could say Jack Robinson, I had the job. And, you know, each time I got this job, I was like, really, is it so easy to find a job? Or is it, am I very good? But, you know, like all women, um, that whole syndrome of, no, I can't be so good. I just got lucky. And uh, yeah, I started working with Z, but I also had this whole thing of, you know, I didn't have a network at home to look out for my children. And I was not very sure about whether I will be successful in a career, but I think I had a very, very supporting spouse and of course, a very encouraging mom. So mom lived in Delhi, but she was like, okay, it's now time for you to start your career. you brought up children. I'm there to support you. She came, she set up the systems for me, which is having a babysitter, just helping me think differently. And uh, yeah, and before I knew I was handling communications with Z and every evening I was at the page three party. Uh, and, uh, and when I went for those, I realized that, oh my God, my wardrobe is not good enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was a shopping spree and a lot of excitement. Yeah. So that's how it started, you know. And uh, that's the time when there was nothing like flexibility at work or work from home. I had to be there each morning. Uh, I had to be there at the page three parties because C was just starting. Before I knew, I was spokesperson for the channel. So I was, you know, speaking in the press. And it was just really, it was like as if something of a dream had just come true. And uh, it just happened. But that dream ended fast because my husband moved to Delhi because he had a transferable job. And when I came to Delhi, there was no, uh, you know, there wasn't that glamour that I I was part of. And that's when I joined a communications agency, 2020. And that also is interesting. I mean, somebody just walked into my house and said... So this "This is when?
0: Which year are we talking about?
1: This was in 1993.
0: And, And I just want to pause here for a second. So you start off meaning to be a communications person, yes. then you get married, then you have children, and then you say, no, I, I, I can do more than this. And you start a career without being very intentional, but you get some ways in Bombay, Yes. and then your husband moves to Delhi, and, and then you start another cycle in your career. Are you yes. more intentional at this point, um, Amrind. no
1: I'm not you know I'm not Sandhya, but the only thing I think what had started was that I had started thinking of what is communication as a career you know while I enjoyed the glamour of the page three parties in Z but I didn't find that very fulfilling and I used to have an agency and I would see and I would hear them talking about other brands that they're working on and they would be talking strategy and they would be talking about things that they're doing differently so somewhere I was like, Maybe that's a more interesting world to be part of. And if I have to really learn the nuts and bolts of communication, maybe I should go to an agency. Mm. So that thought process had already started when I was, while I was, you know, it's interesting. I'm one of those people who started a career at at being on the client side, as they say, people aspire from agency to go to client side. I was a part of a very powerful network and I had a lot of, uh, you know, what a comp person should be doing, but I just somewhere felt very hollow.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's
1: the reason I said, okay, I'm going to try an an agency. And uh, I joined 2020 Media. That's how it was called. It was a technology PR firm. And I'm so glad I did that. Uh, You know, I think I had the best boss. And uh, I was the fourth employee. And we grew to be the the PR agency for tech clients. And I think I just learned so much in those, uh, you know, at 2020 that, it just reformed me as a person and then as a professional.
0: I want to pause at one thing. I mean, you said very interesting things, but I I think for our audiences, um, the thing that I want to push on is the mentor thing. Do you think that was a significant uh, role that your boss played in your growth and your belief in yourself?
1: Oh, absolutely. Just, you know... He was the great believer on, you know, making sure that women enjoy work. So it's very rare that you have a male boss who believes in women uh, bring a lot of value to the work. And he would read books on how to keep women motivated at work. He would, you know, always nudge you to think differently. He would nudge you to grow. He would tell everybody, not just me, he would tell everybody, you know, if you're doing the same job as last year, you're doing something wrong you got to find something you know even to stay relevant in this agency what are you doing differently and i remember he would you know do these sessions with us about career growth about self development and uh, yeah you know i just i think he just laid that foundation for me to have that quest for knowledge and a quest for just doing a self analysis every year and saying Am I doing something right? Am I growing or not growing? So I think if you early in your career, if you're surrounded by people who believe in you and who guide you, um, you definitely, you know, you set yourself on a path. So, yeah, I think very, very fortunate that uh, having a good mentor really, really helps.
0: So we spoke about you having a mentor that was the wind beneath your wings, so to speak. I want to fast forward to you then built on that, um, the opportunity, what was your identity as a boss? And then bring in the woman lens of uh, what it meant to be a woman boss. Because it it is a thing, much as we'd like to say, oh, you know, a boss is a boss is a boss, there's a difference.
1: So I think I'm going to break that into two parts. the comps industry is a very young industry. And when I was working, you know, it, I was 30 plus. So um, you can actually, you know, uh, there's a blog that I had written where I was called auntie of the office. Mm-hmm. I was actually the auntie of the I office. Be. Mm-hmm. I would have been 32 by then. But most of my colleagues were in their early 20s, single. Every evening was about which baba we going to go to. And I would be told, hey, we're going for this pub. Are you joining us? And I usually my answer was, no, I have homework to finish. Or my child is down with chicken pox. Or my cook is not coming in today. So auntie of the office had all these re- evening responsibilities, whereas the kids could just go and have fun. And and how I navigated that was that I just made sure that I worked on the best projects. So as boss or as a senior, I was not really boss at that time, I was like a senior, a, Account director, you know, leading several yes. businesses, but I just worked so hard to make sure that you know, the, as if we would say, the most sexy projects, I led those, and all these young people wanted to be part of that. So that was one way of me, you know, really being. A the auntie person. became cool because she. Auntie cool. Absolutely, that's yeah. how auntie became cool. And then yes, I was boss. Uh, you know, when uh 2020 transitioned into publishers. We got acquired by a global group. I was managing director. And at that time, I think the biggest thing which everybody who runs a PR firm is about talent.
0: Mm-hmm. How do
1: you hire talent and how do you keep talent? And I had a very interesting funder that I was always part of interviewing whoever we hired. I mean, that was my it was on my calendar that anybody that we hire, I have to interview that person. And the maximum time I spent was in hiring the freshers, as you call them management trainees, because you would go into the communication schools uh, and I would hire about 10 of them. And I would do like a daily session with them or a coffee with them or a lunch with them. And then I'd pretty much figured out which are the two or three which are going to stay or have you know, some energy or have the hot buttons. And my way of connecting with them was, I would tell them, you're my mentor. You know what? You're my uh, social media mentor. You're my writing mentor. You're my, uh, you know, mentor on what's the hottest things that is happening with teams. You're my and-
0: window to a new world.
1: Yes, absolutely. You articulated that really well. And I think with that, what happened was one is that I learned a lot. I continued to learn about the new ways of doing things. Second is I bonded with three people. And if those three people stayed at the end of 12 months, my talent problem was sorted quite a bit. Uh, So yeah, I think uh, as boss and the biggest thing about, you know, making sure that you have happy employees, energetic employees solved the biggest thing, which was if they're happy, they were energetic, they wanted to learn new things, they worked well with clients, Uh, they freed up my time because then I could spend more time with clients and thinking about the big picture, the strategy, and the doers loved doing whatever they're doing because boss was involved with them in some way. Like I would say, okay, let's run this uh, social media campaign. And you're going to do this, 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 but I, they would feel so good that they're actually running it. But my thing was that I have an eye on the whole campaign and I would come up with one thing and they would let me do that. So I would be somewhere be hands-on also on social media and learn. And in fact, that's what, you know, really led me to actually spin off a total business very early, which was called 2020 Digital. Uh, we were way ahead of the industry because we hired some really young, smart people, and uh, both my boss and I saw the opportunity, the business opportunity, and we, I just learned along the way. And I think that learning uh, led me to my next career, career move, which was to be the communication director at Facebook so you know have this that's industry.
0: interesting the minute you say Facebook um, but I want you to hold that thought when did gender rare its head
1: so yeah um, really I think what happened was that while I was as boss to these young millennials I was also part of the board of uh, the you know the publicist group and the boardroom I was the only woman mm-hmm. and uh, navigating that was not easy Because, um, uh, you know, very simple things like men just have a very different uh, way of looking at things. Uh, And I would always have a very different viewpoint. And it took a lot about one against six men. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I was also like, I'm not going to give up. So I was this bullhead, but I really saw that what it means to be just an only woman voice in a boardroom. And there were some situations where I did not win, but there were some situations that I did win. And I'll give an example, you know, uh, a lot of the women woke first once came to me and said, you know what, in the evenings when you're working late, some of the young guys in the office, you know, they'll just have a beer or they're, uh, you know, having a smoke and uh, they're, you know, working and they're in no rush to go home. But, you know, we're also involved in some of those pitches. But when we step out, you know, the guard looks at us differently. Uh, There are some people outside in the parking lots, not employees, but others who are in cars drinking. So we don't feel safe. And I just raised my voice in the boardroom and I said, there has to be a guideline to say no drinking in office, even if it's beer. You're working late. That's fine. You want to go out for a drink with your team? It's got to be outside, but cannot happen in the office. So you can imagine, because the men were like, "Oh, this we are in a creative field, and you know, just having a beer in the office is not really seen as drinking, and just having a smoke is not like considered not, not right." But yeah, that's a battle that I won because um, I want both... to push that a little more, though. Yeah,
0: because where I come from, what if I'm the one that wants to drink as a woman? and stay afterwards um, versus the guys that wanted to drink. It's almost a sense of entitlement when the guys want to drink. But if I stayed afterwards and said, hey, let's get together for a drink, I became cool, fun. Um, There were adjectives. I don't know if there's a point there, but it always bothers me that Women having a drink and men having a drink is seen differently. Um, oh, yes. And, and, absolutely. and you could both have a drink and come back to work and have something of significance to contribute. Um, and, and so I, I'm, I'm interested to hear your perspective given what you just said.
1: Yeah, so you're absolutely right, Sandhya. You know, it could be the other way around. But I think whenever you have to make a point or an argument, uh, irrespective of men or women, I always go back to data. Hmm. And I think for me, what it, I had done was I literally run a poll with, uh, in the office and I had data to show. So as I said, it took me many, many board meetings to get the office to put out literally a directive saying, you know what, drinking in office is not on. Please, you're most welcome to take your team out. Here's a budget. Use the budget. Go out, you want to come back and work, offices open 24 by 7 if you have a critical project. We don't encourage you to work after certain hours but because you need work-life balance. But here are some guidelines and guard rules that you have to have. And I think it's always data. You know, for women, that's what I said, that, you know, um, when it is about winning an argument or winning uh, your point of view, you've got to go with data. And that's something that I did.
0: How do women today, and, and feel free to, uh, you know, to um, disagree with me, my worry about data today for women, and is, it's, it's, it's legacy.
1: So I think, uh, Sandhya, to some point, yes, I do agree with you, data is legacy, but I think it's also got about your individual voice and your persona. So I definitely had that credibility and voice uh, of that when I am bringing up such a sensitive topic, I definitely have thought through this. And that's Mm -hmm. where the personal brand comes in. You know, I think for the men in the room, I definitely had their respect because I had been colleagues with them for so long and I had done some fabulous work and there were situations where I had stood up for men also. So, you know, I think a lot of that, which is that you was
0: They respected Amrit's, yes. what she brought yes. to the table. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And of course, data, et cetera, is all for arguments or, you know, when you really want to, how you navigate your conversation. But I think the first thing was that the number one, that first is that I got included in the board. And the second was uh, the credibility that I had carried for over years. Because don't forget that I was part of that whole family for 23 years and probably when I was part of the board member, I would have done about 21 years over there. So yeah, so definitely there was a lot of credibility that I had about what I'd said and done uh, over the years. So yeah, I had the respect definitely of the male colleagues, uh, but there were situations where I really had to navigate that boardroom.
0: Amrit, I always tell you what a fan of your work I am in the brief time we've met. The few people I've spoken to and we've spoken about you, there has there has been complete um, agreement into uh, we think you you've done amazing work and this immense respect for what you do. Uh, my question though is what has it meant to be Amrit, a woman navigating success in the corporate
1: world? So yes, uh, often romanticizing successes of somebody who's in a global communications role. I've often thought of that I should have had that place, but yes, that's not that something that happened. And why did it not happen? Because yeah, somewhere along the line, I also decided that I was very fortunate. I had done some fantastic work and I had started questioning what was my purpose in life. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, when I moved from 2020 and I joined Facebook uh, and Meta as it's called today, I learned a lot, I did a lot of interesting projects and you know, I led a team, it was probably the hottest communication job uh, in the country. At that point, yeah. Yeah, at that point, (laughs) not now, (laughs) at that point, yes. But you know, I had started questioning that, what is my purpose? I mean, I've learned communication, I've achieved this, I probably romanticized this kind of a job, I'm here now, but is this what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life? And at one point I just you know, said, I think now there's a lot of talk about purpose for a brand, for a person, but I think three years back when I did this journey of purpose and soul searching, it was still not spoken about. I think COVID brought that more to the forefront. And I just came to a point of there has to be something different that I'm gonna do for the rest of my working years. Uh, and, you know, I was in early 50s, and I was like, you know, I have probably another 20 years that I would want to work, and I can't just keep doing this, because uh, there's only so much that, as a comms person, that you can achieve, and uh, it's not going to make me happy, and that's when I, you know, just said, hmm, take a pause, and let's see, is there another world out there, and uh, yeah, and then I went and reskilled myself. I went and enrolled for this course at uh, the Ashoka University. It's called the India Leaders for Social Sector. And I was like, "You know, let me just see what the social sector is about, and uh, let's relearn and see what, what's there." So yeah, that course that really helped me define and articulate my purpose. And I think had I not worked for the corporate sector or the capitalist world, I would have not come to the point of where I start the soldier searching. And I just landed in this social sector space when I began to realize that, you know, there is another world which is doing much more meaningful work. Uh, It's not talking about the big dollars, but I slept well. When I went to sleep at night, I felt good that I was attached to a purpose. And I was helping a, a sector which was really doing good work, but probably didn't know how to articulate their story. And so, and yeah, one thing led to another. And, you know, uh, I have several gigs and I consult several clients. But I think the clear thing was not to go back to the world where I had come from and found so much success.
0: I want to be a little provocative. Because you and I are both in our early 50s. Yeah. And we've reached a point where we're talking about purpose. And we're talking about what that means. But I, just because it's important to have these conversations and put push this button. Um, do you think gender played a role in, we're at 50, we're women, Our opportunities are narrower. So we should talk about purpose. Um, Why were we not thinking about this at 30? I'm just asking the question.
1: So as I said that this thing about purpose, etc. probably has become more forefront during during COVID.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: I think the younger people have far more luxury today to experiment with various things and they find their purpose faster. You're in my generation did not know any better. Mm-hmm. For us, it meant do a job, have a great salary check, get a promotion, come home, think of what's next. I didn't know, even know the P of purpose till my 50s. Mm-hmm. But I think in the 50s, there was something nagging within. And maybe even at that time, I was not able to define purpose. But yes, there was definitely a sense of nagging internally of you know, is this what you're going to do for the rest of the, your life? And is there something more that you want to do? And also, I think um, I, I'm able to say purpose now, but, but it took almost like 12 months to articulate it and say I was looking for my purpose. I left Meta, I went and did this social sector course. At Meta, I had a team of about five people, uh, all comms experts, nudging each other to do better and, you know, make sure that the appraisal is better than the other one. And I saw the difference of what I did in my agency life where I worked with very young people, helped them find, you know, feel that what a career should be like. I learned a lot and that gave me joy. Whereas with my meta team, that joy was not there because you know there were five comms professionals who were nudging each other and you know literally sometimes biting because they want one wanted to get ahead of the other. So you know i think all of that was going on in my head and i was like i'm very clear that when i work and mentor people i feel very happy second was that if i'm attached to a social cause just with the some of the experiments that i did and i help them with communication just because that's what i know how to do best i feel good Uh, i actually started with the point of thinking i won't do communications any longer i went i mean like I, my biggest gig is with the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation. And when I went and had that conversation with them, I was like, this is what I bring to the table. I run an organization. I've been a managing director. I've done p I've done HR. How different can you be? You know, you're know, you running a, a an organization. I've been part of that. So let's see what I bring to the table and how can I help you? But as I landed there, COVID happened. And I started looking at just out of curiosity at the, how comms is done connected with the US team and before I knew I was working with them on reforming the whole communication with a digital lens and uh, yeah and then one led to the other and then some of the projects that you and I have been involved in was basically just word of mouth and then I found my comfort in this space but while I was also doing this I also went for some retreats and it was one of the retreats that I went for which helped me define my purpose so my purpose is very very simple it is uh, helping brands and people meet impossible dreams. So, uh, so what I do is, I mean, like while I do, do all of this, which is uh, you know, my day job, which is corporate communications, I also run a, a community for women uh, with somebody. And uh, both of us, what we do is we help mid-level women and I mentor them to take senior role positions in corporates or whatever and help them navigate their career. And as part of that, I run you know sessions on personal branding. I run sessions on uh, managing your executive presence. I, man- I do sessions of ma- running and managing high-performance teams. So that was an area that really gave me joy because I was really helping women move to the next level because I was very lucky that I had a glorious career. And after these- uh,
0: old- Are the people you work with only women?
1: That uh, are- that- 90% of the projects are women, but off late, uh, you know, I have been working with some men also, because I've had a lot of requests and saying all of these areas are also relevant for men. So
0: what, what's the big difference, though? I know I'm slightly moving away, but I really want to understand this. What's the difference between working with a woman and getting her to create her brand versus women uh, versus men?
1: Oh, women are always about, do I really need to do this? First question is, no, I don't want to be, you know, p- people are going to think that, why am I putting myself out there? Uh, no, no, no. I, this is like, I, this is like showing off. I'm not good enough. Usually those are things. Whereas for men, it is.
0: I am good. a
1: boy. I was born. I am good. I'm What more are you going to teach me? And that to a woman. Usually I run into that. And uh, yeah, but then when you spend time with them, you kind of navigate a few things, then yes, they start realizing that, yes, there is a space for them to create a brand. And there's so much that they have to do to do that. And even purpose now, I think even a lot of men have started realizing and going down the path of that, do I have a purpose in my life? And how am I going to reach that purpose? So yeah, I think just the three years of the pandemic for me were very interesting because um, I would just go online, find some, uh, connections. I did some of these projects bec- on women mentoring, you know, I collaborated with people in different parts of the world and did those. I got mentored by Marshall Goldsmith because he had a slot open and he was like, I'm going to take 10 people. So I managed to do that. Then I started with some of these gigs with the social sector. And yeah, and I think now I'm in a really good place where I've never had the temptation to go back to my past life. I mean, that's always knocked on my doors. Every agency has knocked on the door. Every big tech brand is knocked on the door and I'm able to say, no, that was history and been there, done that. That's not a path I want to walk now. So that's I think-
0: the biggest challenge though, Amrit, in, in all of this? And I'm very, you know, I ask this of anybody I speak to, but um, a given, I'm your fan, but also given you reinvented yourself in many ways, and and you really uh, stood out in in a very, I think, supervi- superficial world of communication. What have been your challenges?
1: I think if I just say take the lens of communication, communication is still a very young person's world. It's seen as You know, it's a doer's role, Uh, there is, it's hard to find the strategy gigs. I don't think, I mean, I think what's worked for me is that I work across several projects and they wouldn't be able to afford somebody of my caliber. So they get say, you know, one tenth of my time and they say, okay, we'll pay for that because it's an experiment and let's see, but they will have their teams. And the hardest things the teams have is finding the credibility internally. So while comms as an industry has a world, it's a huge industry, you look at the growth numbers, you look at the market size, it's all great. But I don't think in India, comms still has reached that strategic uh, lens and it's got the seat at the table, which is what everybody talks about. Uh, And I think that's, as a 50 plus woman, that's the challenge that you so know
0: it doesn't matter so much that you're a woman you're talking about the challenge is more the function
1: i think so too because you know i also uh, have conversations with a lot of very senior communications uh, men uh, you know who are like wondering what to do with themselves because they've also been there done that and you know some people have sold agencies some have done glorious carriers but they're also finding it hard to uh, you know really find something which will drive them and they think that they can add value. So I think there's that that very big gap right now in India. Internationally, uh, you know, I don't think that's a gap because comms people are taken more seriously. They are part of uh, really the boardroom as one says. But I think I do see that as a challenge as a communication person. And that's why maybe somewhere in my head it was that I want to break away from communication. And I don't know, I might in the next five years I might do that.
0: I'm an accidental communications person, um, but I also was very intentional about breaking away from communications because I felt it was very limiting. And I and here's where I don't want to harp on gender, but I think it becomes a very convenient role for women. Uh, whereas I think uh, communications is a great foundation for absolute leadership roles. Absolutely, you, you have insight into many aspects that most other functions don't have you have the ability to deal with crisis because we're always dealing with crisis and we know how to put our best foot forward
1: absolutely i think that's one of the uh, conversations i would always have with young people that you join today in 12 months down the line go and have a coffee with your college friends and just measure your conversation versus theirs you are probably writing a briefing book for a CEO and you're putting out sound bites for him. That's the level you're thinking. Whereas your, colli- your other friends from college are still doing some just research or putting out some tables, et cetera. So I think you're absolutely right. You know, A communication person has the best skill sets to succeed in any function. But I don't know whether it is that there aren't enough good people who, or, or is it just the function that is not grown? But I think there's still a lot of hope uh, that some of the people who are in the 50 plus will get the recognition or get the kind of roles that they're capable of. And
0: and if you and I can't do it, very few people can and I say that with all modesty. Um, Amrit, I think you and I have worked really hard. We've focused on outcomes. We are very capable um, and it's time we push the and break the glass ceiling.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I hope hope that'll happen because uh, I am a firm believer in what communication does, whether it's for the capitalist world or for the nonprofit world, or just any function within an organization. Uh, I think there's just so much value that we add. Uh, And also a function which I think has embraced change so fast. I mean, like most of us now do digital communication, which was not what we grew up with. And I don't know if any other function quickly embraced so much change. We have as communicators- We didn't have a choice. We needed to. We didn't have a choice and we all did. So I'm hoping that the next generation of people will uh, get the kind of recognition and there will be more meaningful roles. Today, there are a handful of meaningful roles for the 50 plus. Yeah. There are a few fortunate who are at those roles and I have full respect for them because I know what it takes uh, to get there. Uh, but yeah, there's an interesting line that my son often tells me that, mom, uh, don't start thinking about what those people are doing. Think about your finishing line. I think your finishing line has been great and uh, learn to enjoy that. Uh, so you know, uh, I think that's something that the only I
0: difference is I don't see it as a finishing line. I see it as a starting line to your next twenty years.
1: Oh, um, absolutely! But I think the first phase of the finishing line has been great because just the fact that so you know, I I am I have so much gratitude for every time that you've told me about the respect that people have been saying. And you know, my favorite phrase of when I teach the personal brand session is: "There's reputation and there's a personal brand." And it's about what people say about you when you're not in the room. Yeah. So, so
0: and that's, so, yeah. um, yeah, that's Amrit, I want to spend the last bit of our conversation and I've enjoyed this conversation in the 50 plus bit, you and I are 50 plus and uh, both of us have navigated change. Um, both of us still have, uh, and I will speak for me and I'll let you speak for yourself, uh, I still have, I feel like I'm still at the start of my career. I feel like I have 20 years more to do amazing stuff. Um, And yet the world is not just sexist, it's ageist too. Um, So- Big time, big time. Yeah, so what does that mean for you to be someone who's had considerable success, but post 50? And um, I wanna hear from you.
1: So, uh, you know, Sandhya, yes, ageism is a real thing. And I have also uh, encountered it in various situations. But if you just look at the world around, that's what's happening. Uh, You know, I'm gonna quote unquote one of Ravi's favorite conversation that I've uh, heard that careers are like a musical chair today. Look what's happening with all the layoffs. You know, you're part of that system And before, you know, it's a musical chair and you're out of the system. Look, look at the number of layoffs that have happened in the tech sector. And all of those people, they're going to face so many challenges. Some will face sexist challenges, some ageism, some very bright, but have not recreated themselves, so won't be able to find the roles. So I just look at ourselves, the 50 plus of saying that we've already embraced that change. Mm -hmm. I think both you, me, have been working on several projects and we're, Carving a path for ourselves as to, you know. What, what
0: success is. looks like
1: post-50. Absolutely. I and think we'll, we'll be we'll... trailblazers, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. We'll be trailblazers because the world is going to move. I think the number of full-time roles and careers or whatever it is is a thing of the past. Your career is going to be a portfolio of the number of gigs that you've done and how you're able to showcase those. So we we will have a lot of young people coming to us for advice. So, you know, the 50s, definitely. But just wait and watch. The 20s and 30s are going to go through what we are going through in our 50s. And uh, they would want to learn from us. because
0: I have a, I have a very interesting take. Um, and it's not backed by data. I actually think uh, post-50, women are going to be able to navigate success better than men have. Uh, because there's no... Um, playbook and women are very good at adapting to whatever is thrown at them and and when i keep bringing women up and gender i i I don't mean to man bash i i really really think the thing that women will be able to do that men haven't is adapt to what success means post 50.
1: so i think i'm going to use a quote over here Uh, You know, I think women just know that bad news is that time flies. But the good news is that you're the pilot of the time. And I think women do that very well because in the time flies thing, they know that they're going to become empty nesters. They get their kids to go away. They've navigated so many things for them. So, you know, all that's gone. And then it is that I'm going to be the pilot of my life for the next few years because all those duties are over. I'm going to live for myself. And I'm going to, you know, make sure that I have this short time left, and whatever I couldn't do, I'll do it. Versus just role reversal of men. In that first phase, they're doing what they would do before 50, after 50. They've lived for themselves all their lives, Absolutely. and they don't know what to do beyond. Yes. Yeah. 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 So you know, I think just women are far more adaptable at this age, and also there's somewhere that how much ever you know help now young couples I see a lot of young couples and men are helping in house full uh, of uh, stuff they're helping with children but we're just wired differently you can't change that
0: yeah.
1: yeah so I think that wiring which is there women learn that after 50 I will be the pilot of this time so and they, they say- take more control
0: I want to end our conversation because you and I can keep talking because we have so much in common. But I want to end our conversation, Amrit, with where you are today and perhaps to an audience of people who will be where you and I are in a few years. What's something you can share with them? and Say, hey, look out for this or these are things that um, I can offer you having been through.
1: I think it's just three things that I tell myself every day, reset, resurrect, and reimagine the day you stop doing that, you know, it's, you're not going to live your best life.
0: So you reset, to... resurrect and reimagine.
1: Yeah. I, I don't ever, you know, when I say reset, I put self care as the primary thing right now. Uh I just make sure that I get up every morning and uh, I just look in the mirror and say, you're the coolest. So (laughs) I never did that earlier, but I heard this from actually Anil Kapoor. You know, uh, I was in a session with him and somebody asked him, uh, what's the mantra of your success? And he looks really good and he's so fit at even at, you know, 60 plus. So he got up and he said, I look at the mirror every morning and say, man, what a good looking bastard. I think the day you stop reimagining or imagining that you can do it and find new avenues to fulfill your imagination, life is over and done with. So I think for any stage of life, whether it's 50 plus or whatever, I think those three things are most important. And if you can do this, you will cushion yourself to setbacks. You will have the confidence that you can reset yourself, you can resurrect for yourself from failures and you can bounce back and you can reimagine success for yourself. You know, the brain is very wired to actions. So if you wire your brain to success, you will find the success. Thanks. So I think-
0: No, I'll, I, I, I cannot think of a more, more beautiful way to end this. Um, reset, resurrect, reimagine. Yeah. I mean, and like you said, that's a mantra for any age. But when Absolutely. you're 50 plus, it's even more empowering. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Owning It. With every conversation with women who are taking control of their narrative, I'm constantly inspired. Don't forget to tune in to the next conversation with yet another woman choosing her own path and owning it.